0: is Julie Griffith. Julie is the publicity coordinator at David and Margaret Youth and Family Services. She's worked there for eight years, spent most of her career in health care and public relations and fundraising, including Cedar sinai Medical Center and Kaiser Permanente. She lives in Laverne, where David and Margaret is located, and represents the agency in many community organizations, including Chamber of Commerce, Rotary, Seroptimus, and Team Referral Network. Please welcome Julie Griffith. Thank you. In the course of my career with David and Margaret, I've had the opportunity to speak in many places and on many occasions, but I must say, this is my first time speaking from pulpit, and it's a little intimidating, so please bear with me. <laughs> Thank you so much for asking me to join you this morning. I know David and Margaret and Laverne are kind of far afield from here. Anybody know where Laverne is? Yay! <laughs> okay, we're not completely off the map. If you know where the uh, the L.A. County Fairgrounds is, um, we're just a couple of minutes from there. And we are a mission of the United Methodist Church, so... Um, uh, Two or three times a year, we get to welcome some of your brethren, the nomads. Anybody familiar with the nomads? They, uh, okay, there's one. Um, they are RVers who go around the country, and uh, they they stay with um, a mission or a church, I guess, and they, uh, in exchange for a safe place to, to park and the hookups, they will work uh, and, and do some of the, the kinds of hands-on carpentry-type things that... ...that uh, we need, so we are very grateful uh, that we have nomads with us at present. Um, David and Margaret was founded in... Uh, I don't want to talk too long, so I'm going to take my watch off and keep an eye on myself. Um, <laughs> David and Margaret was founded in 1910. Um, a, a local businessman purchased a large, uh, a large amount of acreage uh, upon which an unfinished hotel stood... And he gave it to the group that evolved into United Methodist Women with the understanding that um, it be used uh, to care for children. Uh, and the other condition was that it be named after his parents. So that's who David and Margaret are. And we do occasionally get phone calls for them. Uh, but they are, they are not available. Can someone else help you? <laughs> Um, originally, that, that very first year, um, we served 95 children. Um, it, it, this was back, as I said, in 1910, so much of Southern California was undeveloped. Um, there was a, a, a working farm on the property, and we have some great old historical photos of the kids, you know, out there hoeing the, the gardens and uh, riding around on the, the farm equipment. Um that eventually, as, as uh, the area grew and developed, um, that old uh, hotel that was on the property, which had been housing uh, the youth and the staff um, for a couple of decades, it, it became decrepit, and it was torn down and replaced with a building that still stands today. It opened in 1926, um, and it was kind of a dormitory-style Building, It's got two wings that stick out, and there was a girl's dormitory and a boy's dormitory, and in the middle was the infirmary and, uh, you know, the chapel and uh, everything they needed, basically. Well, over the years, uh, the way that children in foster care are provided for has changed. Beginning in the 1950s, (coughs) excuse me, beginning in the 1950s, CARE began to take a more home-like approach, so we built on our campus seven cottages, and each of those cottages accommodates up to ten youth. And uh, we have staff with them 24-7. Our frontline social workers work 12-hour shifts, so there's always somebody with these kids. And I should also say that about this time, in the 50s, our board of directors decided to make a couple of changes in how we provide CARE. First of all, they took a look around, and they realized that there, was, uh, there were a lot of places that were caring for the very young children. So they decided to focus on adolescents in foster care. And they took a look around, and they realized that there were a lot of places that uh, sheltered boys. So they specialized in boys' residential programs. So they decided that David and Margaret should focus on girls in adolescent care. Uh, so that's, that's what we do. Uh, the, our residents on campus are girls ages 11 to about 18. And uh, we, uh, as the agency grew and evolved to meet the needs of the community, which it must do to survive, um, we added a school. Uh, it was originally for our youth, but now it serves the community as well. It's a special ed school. Uh, it's great because a lot of um, our kids have um, disabilities that kind of keeps them from really thriving in their, their district school. They might have a, a behavioral issue or, or a learning disability. So we have um, what we call Joan Macy School. It was named for the first principal. Uh, and the classes have uh, one teacher for six students. Wouldn't it be great if all classes were that way, right? And a maximum of 12 students per classroom. So we're happy that we have that for our youth, and we also accommodate um, youth who need these services from other nearby school districts. We also have a foster and adoption agency, and that was, uh, that was started so that the, the kids who were in foster care with us could have an easy avenue to find a foster home that we do still take kids from right out of the hospital when they're born all the way up until they emancipate. Uh, and that's, uh, that's something that's very near and dear to our hearts. And uh, there is there such a huge need for foster parents. Has anybody here ever been a foster parent? Yes, thank you very much. Um, anybody here been a foster child? Okay. Um, well, there's, there's a great need. You know, these, these kids have seen a lot of the world, um, so much more than you and I have, I think. Um, a recent change that has been made to, uh, to the law in California requires that agencies like David and Margaret um, accept and care for youth who have a higher degree of need than we've taken care of in the past. Um, we are the last stop for these girls um, short of a, an inpatient psychiatric care facility. So we've been having to retool and rethink and re-educate ourselves so that we can be the best that we can be to give these girls what they deserve. Um, we also have been improving and increasing our programs for youth who are aging out of foster care. Now... A lot of times they think, I'm 18, yay, I'm out of the system, I can do whatever I want. But then they get out there and they realize, oh, wow, uh, I don't have any place to live. I don't have family support. I don't know how to get a job. I, I just I don't know what to do. And these youth are at tremendous risk of homelessness. A little over half of all foster youth, former foster youth, do spend some time homeless. So what we do is we try to equip them with the skills that they need. Um, first, we, we have, um, about three years ago, we built on our campus a 35-unit apartment complex, um, and we work in cooperation with the uh, county of Los Angeles to place uh, some of these youth, both uh, male and female, in these apartments. It gives them a safe place to live because, let's face it, You can't deal with any of that other stuff if you don't have a roof over your head. So we provide them with with beautiful little apartments. Um, They have social workers who work with them. Uh, We have somebody who's dedicated to employment and education. She encourages these youth to continue their education if they wish to because, let's face it, we know once we get out there in the world, it's really difficult to go back to school. So... If they like, they can go to a trade tech school or a two-year school or a, a four-year college or university. We do everything we can to support them in that. Um, if they wish to try their hand in the, the um, world of employment, we work with them on that, too. Um, we uh, have internship opportunities for them so they can kind of get their feet wet in a safe place, we have uh, a retail store on our campus. It's kind of the companion piece to those apartments, um, a retail store where these youth can get internships and they can learn basic skills that they need to succeed. They learn how to. Um, they can work in our warehouse and and learn how to break down the pallets and put things on the shelves. They can learn how to um, deal with customers because let's face it. Interpersonal skills are not their strong point, and they need that guidance. And right next door in the same building, we have a cafe, and that's new for us. Uh, and that provides what, for many of us, was our first job uh, in the food service industry. But again, they learn how to handle food and handle money and deal with customers. And so we, we try to give them that, that leg up. We also have partnerships with businesses in the community who uh, we reach out to uh, to offer, again, these internship opportunities because a lot of times the only adults that these kids have really interfaced with have been social workers and law enforcement and attorneys, and they kind of think that's all there is out there. So we want to open their eyes a little bit to the opportunities that are there. Um, We partner with department stores and um, some local chambers of commerce. We've got these youth uh, sharpening their, their front office skills uh, and with restaurants. So we're, we're really pleased to be expanding our reach into the community, again, for the benefit of these youth. Um, now, there's another program we have, and somebody asked me about this earlier. Uh, if you remember last summer in the news, um, uh, some some talk about David and Margaret and unaccompanied youth uh, who were here in the country without a sponsor. Um, That's something that we've been doing for a number of years, but we kind of kept it on the down low for the safety of the youth and for the safety of our staff, too. Um, I'm sure you all know about the the political brouhaha surrounding people coming uh, across the border uh, who are or I hate the word uh, alien, but they are, they are here uh, undocumented. Um, a lot of times they're families, and the families get torn apart. The parents go one way, and the kids go another way. Sometimes these kids come on their own. Can you imagine making that trek from, say, Guatemala through Mexico, uh, either on foot or a train, and they've got all of the hazards uh, that they've had to deal with? We, we take care of some of these kids. We are very fortunate to be able to do that. Uh, and we have some amazing staff members who work with these youth, um, not only because they literally speak the same language, but they can help these kids cope with the trauma that they've gone through. Um, it, it's amazing. And these kids are, are very grateful for the services that they get here. Uh, I remember one of our staff telling me that at Christmas time, of course, we get all of the kids' gifts, and, you know, they're beautifully wrapped up, and uh, they were given to some of these, these uh, youth, and they would unwrap them, and then they would very carefully smooth out the, the wrapping paper and, and fold it up. And somebody said, why are you doing that? It's just wrapping paper. And uh, the, the kids said, it's the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. So, you know, imagine you're dealing with that. And um, we are not part of the the political discussion. Our role is to take care of these children. That's what we do. They're typically with us mm, ideally for 30 to 60 days while the government looks for a sponsor for them. Sometimes that can be a challenge because potential sponsors are afraid to come forward because, you know, they might be jailed and and, uh, deported. So sometimes they stay with us a little longer than that. In fact, we've um, created a long-term foster care program specifically for these youth. And I should mention that they're not just from Mexico and Central America. We have youth from as far away as India and China who have come by way of Mexico. So sometimes we're faced with uh, kids who who speak only a regional dialect, and even our professional translators can't really talk to them, so sometimes it starts out with pantomime. But we always, we always do our best um, for these children. And I, I thought it was very appropriate that the hymn we heard right before this was Jesus Walked This Lonesome Valley. We don't want these kids to have to, to walk this valley alone. We do what we can... That, that is our reason for living, is to help these young people, these children, these teens, these young adults, so that they, they can be the best that they can be. They can be responsible, happy, contributing members of society and not, well, I don't want to say a drain on society, but not live the the life that, unfortunately, many of them do. Some um, end up in uh, the drug trade or they end up in sex trade. Um, Some end up in prison or worse. So we do everything we can to give them an alternative. And it's through organizations like United Methodist Women and the United Methodist Church that we're able to do this. We appreciate your support. We appreciate your prayers. Uh, Everything that you do to help us lift up these kids and um, put them on the path that that they'll be proud to walk. Um, And if you are ever out Laverne Way, I would be more than happy. To give you a tour, that's part of my job as our publicity coordinator. Because it's one thing to sit here and listen to me talk, but it's another thing when you're there and you see our beautiful campus with all the grass and the trees and the flowers, and you see our youth, and you see these things that, that we do. And, uh, you know, some of the, the ways that they react to it, they're, sometimes they're a little put off by the beauty of the campus. They think there's got to be a catch. Right, but there isn't. So we would be more than happy to have you if you would like to come out our way and show you some of the good work that you're helping to to create. Thank you so much for your time and the opportunity to speak with you today.